Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhunhasam Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhunhasam Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhunhasam Buddham dhammang sangham namasamami In the Buddha's teaching, not is made out of um, practice of mindfulness, which is said to be the direct practice, the direct path for ending of suffering and stress, sorrow, lamentation, despair, liberation. This is called the direct um, way to, to cultivate. Direct because, in fact, it, it uh, makes the, our attention go into the structure of phenomena, the way structure of feelings, particularly searching for a particular feeling or trying to reject a feeling, but really going into what a feeling is or what a body actually is. It's big, large, moving, still, breathing, walking. Um, Dying, dead. Uh, you know what is this? Just as it is, uh, and what is mental sensitivity, chitta, whether it's inflamed, soothed, bright, compacted, aggressive, demure. You know whatever its whatever its kind of tone is. What's the whole quality of having a mental tone, mental sensitivity? Something that that brings up moods and, and impulses and drives and retracts and contracts and pushes forward, like the emotive center, our emotive center. Uh, and what about all those things that come up? You know, happiness and sadness, um, aspirations and desperation, um, you know, all the kind of phenomenology of what our sensitivity can bring up. And mental sensitivity can throw up for us. So this is very radical because, of course, normally we don't really just penetrate these things. We we stay on the the outside of them, if you like, We're trying to make the body be like this. I have this kind of feeling. Not have that particular mental phenomenon, but have this mental phenomenon. Let my mind not go into negative, aggressive states, that it be always peaceful and happy. Um, you know, something like this, you know. So we're actually always we've got an angle on it. The angle is called myself. And this myself is something that can be externally conditioned the way you should be. And so often we, lear- <coughs> we learn about ourself as really the way, w- the way that as sensitivity meets the world, you know, where our kind of actual living conscious experience, how that meets and is met and is related to and shaped by by the world around us, primarily through other people, giving us negative feedback or positive feedback or saying, don't be this way, be that way. So, you know, eventually you get this kind of thing called a personality which kind of tries to hold you, hold all this bag of stuff into some kind of coherent shape that's acceptable, agreeable, functional, nice enough, um, so on. So and this is called a view, personality is called a view. It's, a, it's um, 
And it's not actually a, it's a thing that is contained in tremendous dynamic, but it's always like a packaged, packaged thing. It's all the pulsing and the trembling and the uncertainties and the passions that are kind of contained into some form that's kind of fairly cohesive or, um, you know, and it's acceptable. Works okay. But there's always um, a lot of energy um, involved in in maintaining a personality, a view of a personality, because we always have to kind of keep um, keep this 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 personality into uh, a, you know in in a reason, in a good order. Let it not be that which is not liked. Let it be that which is liked by others. Let it be that which is considered good or successful or attractive or interesting by others. Let it be that which is always able and competent, able to deal with things, manage things. Let it never break down. Let it never, let it never be in doubt. Let it always be knowing it all, doing it all, managing it all, on top of it all. And uh, of course this doesn't actually work. So there can be a lot of basic... Uh, uh, you know, denial uh, occurring to just maintain one's sense of, of personality, not accepting the unknown, the, the uncontrollable, the unmanageable, the difficult, the unbearable. And we say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not my business, or it doesn't really matter, or shrug it off. <clears throat> but actually, in this experience <clears throat> with mindfulness, we're not actually trying to work from having to keep a whole personality thing going to, to handle it, the external experience, but really just, just feeling out or knowing what, what occurs. You know, this is the mind feeling large or small or bright or dark. This is the effect on the body. This is the body's like this. It's, it's this age or this shape or this texture. Um, it is what it is. So what mindfulness is doing, in a way, is taking us past the level of should be and shouldn't be, which is what how what a view is about. A view is this the mental activity of creating a should be and a shouldn't be, um, which requires a good deal of energy, and we're kind of holding that up against the flow of life and how other people are. Well, you should be this way and you shouldn't be like that. Oh, I should be this way and I shouldn't be that way, and things should happen like this but not like that. So we can keep this thing going. And of course, you know, it, it's quite an effort trying to handle the, the flow and stream of experience through these particular mechanisms because everything is actually not being the way it should be. And things that shouldn't happen do happen. Um, and things that I wish I was, I'm not. Things that I wish I wasn't, I am. <laughs> So it's quite embarrassing if you, if you, you know, on a personality level, you're trying to maintain some sense of coherence and consistency and manageableness. And actually, the whole thing is continually being challenged and breaking up, leaks occurring, and you know, the, the dropping clangers and not getting it right. Um, with mindfulness, we're actually not trying to sustain the personality, you know. But to recognise, well, we can actually bear, you know, um, and, and know the feeling. You know, so, with mindfulness, the basis of this is the recognising that the feeling, the mental state, the bodily condition, is something that changes. It comes and goes. And we can we can live with it. We can let it change, uh, and so that if it gets into something that's you know, not uh, agreeable, we bear with that, and eventually it kind of shifts and it changes. <clears throat> so this is, you know, cultivation of mindfulness, and though we often talk about meditation, um, you know, practicing meditation, actually, you know, meditation is, is a particular special case, special cases of mindfulness that are used to, to just bolster up attention, strengthen the power of attention, or to strengthen the power of intention. Attention is the ability to sustain awareness of an object, 
consistently. And intention is the ability to, to, to direct attention, and it may have certain attitudes towards it. So it can be a kindly intention, or a firm intention, or it could be a negative intention. But of course, when we cultivate meditation themes, we're trying to develop particular, you know, supportive and wholesome and intentions that give us a good result, a good feeling result. We sustain patient intention or kindly intention or firm intention or dispassionate intention or forgiving. These kinds of things which are all you know, pretty easy to, to reckon on whenever you think in what, what is good, what is goodness about. Um, and this is what, you, you, in a way, when you meditate, you try to bring up this particular quality of intent, intention, and you know, use your practice, sustain it. You know, so there are particular meditation themes that we undertake. You know, we may undertake something like practice of loving kindness, just you know, direct bringing up that quality of intention, just to just to uh, to wish well. To in other words, that that in us which can bestow uh, a blessing, a benevolence, a sense of well, may you be well, may things work for you. Um, so. You know, you can develop that, and we can start with just kind of cultivating it in our own body. May this body be well. May it be free from harm. Uh, my own mind. May my mind be a, a peaceful one, or a happy one, or a gentle one, or a one that feels loved and settled. May it find a place that's good. And then you're cultivating this towards what arises in the mind, and of course towards one's perceptions and <coughs> understanding of other people. You bring up an idea or memory of someone, and you know, and you see what kind of thing that triggers off. You may think, well, so what? Or get a, a very a negative feeling, or a feeling where they don't like me very much, or he's a bit of a pain, or she's like this and that and the other. And you get this kind of ripple when you when you when you bring up a memory of someone. You always get some kind of resonance going, which you know, which you can feel it kind of move, move the chitta, move the mental sensitivity. Well, whatever that is, that's that's okay. But what we actually bring back is, well, you know, whatever you know this brings up for me, I'm still going to say, put back towards that. You know, may you not be harmed. Uh, I'm not going to have aggression towards you, or fear towards you, you or contempt towards you, or dismissiveness or cruelty. These things. So, this practice of, of metta is a particular theme for cultivation of, what, of our life, our experience. We can cultivate a theme like mindfulness of breathing, breathing in and out, attuning to the rhythm of that which is calming and brings us very much into our body, into the physiology of the body, into the energy of the body as we breathe in and out, into the settledness of it. This is very satisfying because um, you know the rhythm and the energy of the body is like a food. And so when we when we rest in that, we feel we're getting um, a nice place to be, a comfortable place to be. It's like settling down in, in within one's body, and this really helps to allay a lot of the outreaching for happiness and contentment and joy and excitement that normally is pulling us out. So you're able to just kind of feel quite contented in, in yourself if you can cultivate this way. And so these, and these <coughs> what you find with attention and intention is if you just keep practicing and strengthening those so that your attention is just on this particular object or just with this particular you know, gesture of mind and your intention is just being sustained in this particular way, then they themselves bring around results of of um, uh, feeling you know, and mental states, the mental state, the mental sensitivity. Instead of running or, or jittering, is actually held and steadied. So the mental state, the mental sensitivity, becomes even, um, steady, and because of that, we feel there's a quality of pleasure that arises. So you you know the. This can bring around a very satisfying 
uh, result. Uh, just recognizing the, the power that attention and intention has. Just to really, you know, attend to something, put the mind, focus on it and hold it without wanting it to be some other way or something else. You know, so wanting a, a coarse object like, you know, feeling unwell, for example, wanting it to be another way. You just feel it, feeling it, focusing on as it is, bringing attention there. And the attention brings around a kind of a, a gradual energy arises with that. With a, uh, and a sense of the, the struggle and the disappointment and the bitterness and the restlessness that can accompany an unpleasant coarse object like illness, you know, seems to abate. And we, you know, we find that our heart remains, uh, feels quite steady within that. Or you have refined objects, such as particular subtle um, qualities of mind, you can focus on those, such as, you know, joy or rapture or ease of mind. Now, of course, what, uh, you know, the, one of the things about difficulties with meditation is these, these are specific cases or specific themes that one can undertake and pick up. But one of the difficulty can be is that once we, we tend, can take those and forget or lose the general sense of mindfulness, of body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of mental sensitivity, mindfulness of mental phenomena. So that, you know, we have the meditation is one thing and the rest of our life is something else which um, we don't actually treat with mindfulness because it's often things like walking to the car, driving down the road, um, mowing the lawn, um, you know, these things, you know, well, so what, so get these things over so that I can do more of the more refined stuff. So one develops a view, you know, and that brings around a certain amount of suffering because the view is always like a, an encapsulation of an experience and, you know, and it begins to be in the should be, start to come in with that. You know, we start to kind of separate something from, from our life, and, we say, and then there's, of course, a comparison. And so, you know, well, it should be. So then we want to have more of what we should be, of what, what it should be. So, of course, you know, I should meditate. I should have more meditation. My meditation should be calm. Um, anything disturbs my meditation from being calm is wrong. It's not fair. It's not right. It should be this way. Uh, and this goes on. And in a, in a, we're actually not tackling the quality of feeling you know, or the quality of mental state. Um, I, I'm rattled. I'm annoyed. I'm fed up. Uh, you know, instead of actually handling that or, or, or opening up to that, well, it should be this way. You know, so we, so we kind of retreat into this view. And of course, meditation themes can be areas that we get views around, or the topic of meditation, something we get views around, which we actually use to retreat from this, you know, from the experience, conscious experience of living, which is uncontrollable. You know, we, we can kind of put some regulations on it, but it still tends to come rolling in. Old age, sickness, death. <laughs> things breaking down, things not working, um, you know, terrorism, um, you name it, you know, and, and of course some minor little things, you know, just not feeling so good or, um, you know, all this stuff happens. Sometimes we, we think, I really want, I should be able to meditate and it doesn't work. Mind don't do it. Don't know why. This doesn't seem, mind just won't stay there. It just keeps drifting off and saying that way. Then the actual view of meditation then tends to be something that prevents us from really being mindful of that particular experience. The unbearable, the unknowable, the impossible, the uncontrollable, the unfair. Um, and this is, <coughs> you know, completely normal. But, but it's really, um, you know, where in a way our fulfillment of mindfulness is not, doesn't occur because we, we've got certain, 
we actually use the meditation themes as things to define mindfulness. And then if you can't get those going, then you, you, or, you know, you, you can't be mindful. Rather than having a much broader recognition of mindfulness as being noticing or, or being with the mind, its changeable nature, its ups and downs, and, you know, being present with that. Feeling that out. Feeling as, as changing, impermanent. And contemplating that rather than forming a view. Now, in when the Buddha taught the practice of mindfulness, he said we should contemplate internally and externally. So internally is very much more like the subjective sense. What's happening to me? You know, that, that what uh, what our conscious process does quite readily is differentiates because there's one bit of it's called me, the other bit it's called everybody else, everything else. Because I'm in here and everything else is out there, internal, external. Mm. So we, we can contemplate, well, you know, this particular feeling arises dependent upon something that's happening out there. Mm. Uh, or it happens because of something happening in here. So, you know, and and this isn't this is though it's it's not always clear because our mental sensitivity just vibrates with its internal or external. It still moves, and in the quality of being sensitive and it, stimulated, disappointed, aroused, glad, and whatever, then what a normal habit is is just to take the effect, just to focus on the effect, not to say where it's coming from but just to focus on the effect. And um, the, this sensitivity is something that produces a quality of, of meanness, comes out of that. So whether it's because of my mood or because of the weather, it doesn't really matter. Just I, all I know is you know, I'm in a bad state today. And that's what's important. So I feel you know, in a bad state or a good state and... That may be because of internal factors, something coming up in my own karmic process, something happening in this body, or it can be external factors, you know, somebody giving me a hard time, you know, whatever, external factors. But often we're not very clear about that. And what occurs um, a lot of the time is there's both inference, which is I assume you're this way, inference, or I assume I'm this way, so we can feel you know, upset about something and assume, well, the problem is I'm just an irritable, snappy kind of person, you know, so then it infers and projects inwardly, uh, or we could say, well, no, I'm fine, it's because you're impossible and unbearable, you know, then we could put it externally, um, you know, and, and so you get this kind of blaming and viewing again, form of view. And once you do that, then we, when that happens, you say, "Well, you, know, you are an impossible person," or "I'm an irritable, incapable wimp." You know, so you, you, know, you get this kind of thing where it locks internally or externally. And then, of course, round that, you know, we we don't we create a lot of of karma, our habits, our actions to keep recurring around that. We assume I am this way, or you are that way, or the world <coughs> is like this, and so on. And so we kind of act upon those impulses and actually, you know, start to carve them in stone. Of course, most of our living experience, we begin to recognize um, that, uh, you know, these views tend to break down, at least the external views tend to break down. As you begin to recognize, oh, well, this person was so unbearable and unpleasant. Oh, well, and five days later, well, he did do that, and he did do this. Well, oh, well, oh, well, maybe I was it wrong. So anyway, the external view is is something that, you know, unless you're really pretty pig-headed, tends to tends to kind of take care of itself just through just through coming back again and again to that experience. But what tends to lodge is the internal view, because you don't really have so much challenging of that. We can still feel and hold that. I am this way. 
because of that in, incredible ten, tendency to want to form a view about oneself. So we we tend to, you know, assume we are a certain way because certain kind of moods and feelings and energies have arisen here. And we haven't really recognized where they came from, how they came, or whether they were because of internal factors or external factors. We just felt a certain way um, and we get tendencies to then hold that as what, what, I, what I am. And then with that, then we can kind of put other things on top of it to try to tidy up. But basically, it can be rest there in the, in the bottom of the heart as basic feeling of inadequacy or um, you know, being unpleasant or whatever. I'm an angry person. I'm a kind of willful person. I'm a wimpy person. I'm a dithering person. Like that. So now I can kind of put something on top of it so that it doesn't show, maybe. Oh, yeah. So, so this this encapsulation, this personality view, is considered to be, you know, a very major obstacle for people. It's it's where it's the where the, the internal stuff crystallizes, and it, it, when it, as long as it's held internally, it tends to to be not get the same kind of challenging as the external, which is subject to a lot more different influences. <clears throat> Once we have a view about ourselves, the way I am, then that we use that very much to direct our lives. Because I am this way, and I can't, and I won't, and I'm not going to, and I am, and I'm not, and all that, even though I, then this is what I'm going to do. So it becomes a, a, a major you know, um, driver of our life, this view of ourselves. Now, you know, meditation alone doesn't necessarily always um, open that up because meditation is something that, again, is a very inter- can be a very internal process. So I'm not really kind of challenging my, my view of myself, I'm actually <coughs> employing that. So meditation, you know, I can kind of focus on this, I can focus on that, I can do this, that and the other with it. Um, you know, and then it's, it can still remain very much within the boundaries of myself. I choose the kind of meditation I want to do, I choose the at when I want to do it, uh, I choose who I do it with, I choose where I do it, I'll choose how long. I find a particular theme or technique that suits me. I go to a teacher I like. Yeah, I do it this time when I'm in a good state. So on. You get these kind of things. And pe- people can do enormous amounts of meditation retreats on this basis. Mm. Yeah. And get pretty good at it in many ways. You know, and certainly develop many things. Most of them views. <laughs> so we know a lot we know I mean, a lot about all kinds of different meditation systems techniques and schools and so forth and and that and, and you know and basically underneath it somehow there can still be the lingering feeling of but you know I'm like this I don't know if I can manage I can't do this and I'm not like that you know this doesn't da 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 so really what what very much helps uh, mindfulness or breaking out of view is to be undergo training which is very much about meeting the, exter- an ex- the external world in a, in a more choiceless way and although <coughs> monasteries and, and if I can seem quite an introspective pursuit then the way that the, this Buddhist monasticism is set up it's always got a fairly strong external factor to it yeah in a way that that is not something that we have a lot of say over. We receive the food that comes. We live on the requisites that are offered, provided. Um, It's a kind of open-ended situation. People come in. It's not cloistered. Um, uh, So it's chaotic. 
in that it's not a, not a control situation. Um, so that generally in any particular day, something is winding you up, one way or another. Because <laughs> it's not, not being the way that one likes it, or feels okay with it, or settled with it, or you know, it turns out things are happening too late, or too early. Too, too many people, not enough people. Things are, things are not quite fitting, one, one can't hold them. And then living in a, um, also in a communal experience, which is very much a requirement of Sangha life, in that you at least have to meet up every now and then to, to recite the training rules and perform particular duties. And, and uh, in this country, the community life is quite a big part of it. And this is, this is even more of, of, uh, of an uncontrollable situation because you're being with, resident with, you know, maybe 10, 12 other people, you know, who, who are not under one, your control. And you're working together and, you know, people having their feelings and moods and ups and downs and having to kind of somehow, you know, feel that and, and be with that and form some sort of cohesive unit out of a fairly, uh, like a, you know, like a centipede with the legs all going in different directions and trying to make it flow along. So then we can form various views about that. Oh, you can't stand this, you know. Uh, people are this way, uh, community life is like this, you know, or men are like this, or women are like this, or lay people are like that, or it's not like this in Burma, or like this in somewhere else. <laughs> 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 uh, and so, you know, again, because one doesn't want to actually be in an area in this kind of quality of, of um, you know, unman- uncontrollableness, uh, the unmanageable, the the thing that's breaking one, one through one's boundaries. <clears throat> but it's really helpful because when we actually learn to, to meet the external world with the way, the way it is. And one thing, one good thing about this, this, the external, the main thing about the external world of, of, of training is that we're, we're by and large with people who are, whose intentions are good and who keep moral precepts. So though you can get bounced around, it's generally pretty sort of safe in, in that way. And one um, has certain rights, if you like, moral rights, and one can leave, one can, um, you know, disagree, and so forth. <laughs> <coughs> so it's not. Um, it's it's something that that one's got certain certain boundaries to it. So very often, it's not that anything really. You know, immoral or or, or um, life-threatening is occurring. So much as it's uncomfortable, embarrassing, uh, confusing, disappointing, uh, awkward, um, you know, these things like that going on. Um, but really, learning to 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 open to that and be mindful of it, seeing what happens internally in that experience. You know. So we're going to shut down, try to force it to be one way, shape it up, you know, look the other way, you know, form a view. Or we can we can feel, we can acknowledge it's like this. We can acknowledge what kind of phenomenon arise in our mind: ill will, restlessness, agitation of various kinds. And we can contemplate those as as which have the nature to to rise and cease. It takes a very um, uh, focused um, intent in that way. So in this way, the, the intent of mindfulness is to just to know these things arise and cease and to what it takes to, to do that. The, the openness, the patience, the patience and the, the sense of, of um, unopinionatedness about it all, coming out of one's views, just patiently allowing experience to happen. So you have to keep it quite simple, 
to, to get the kind of quality of gathered up intent. <laughs> if, you, if you have too many things on the, on the, on the go about the way, how one's going to approach experience or what one wants to do with experience, we tend to lose some of the power of collectedness. <clears throat> um, and we, we end up, you know, one can find that this quality of, of a collected mind is really a tremendous resource and refuge. Because in, when the mind is collected, we can know fully, clearly, you know, that's happening, that's externally. Oh, this, that's, that's, that's your stuff. Or, oh, this is my stuff. This is happening in here. You know, this is my fear. No, this is not my fear. This is you being, this is you threatening. <laughs> you know, this is not being me being paranoid. It's actually, you know, we, we can kind of di- know the difference. And still, that doesn't mean we have to form a view about it. We, ju- we just know where it is. And that gives us a way of, of focusing on it, you know. Being, being um, contemplating it, being patient with it. So we don't um, allow through that. We don't. We prevent those particular phenomena becoming locked into fixed states, fixed attitudes, uh, personalities, people, myself, you, and that 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 is is a great blessing because the more that we can, you know feel this stuff, whatever it is, um, as for what it is, then we feel we have to be less, we have to have, be less prepared, less, con- less defended, we have to carry less, less armaments with us, less strategies with us. We, we can, we've got this strategy of mindfulness and, and full knowing. And uh, we can live lightly. We can keep ourselves in the present moment. Rather than carrying on a whole load of of, um, of attitudes or uh, gambits in order to manage experiences that happens to us, so it's knowing how to respond to one's emotional, um, you know, the emotional states that the mind goes through: its excitement, or its passion, or its disappointment. Being able to, you know. To stay steady with that, you know, like a steady holding of that, or a steady allowing of that. Rather than forming it into a, a view. So in this practice we're not really denying or, or opinionating about um, the way that our, our systems work, but we're finding a kind of a, a reference point, a steady reference point. Which is more than just a, a you know a, an interesting position to watch things from because that that point it's not just a point it's actually a realm. You know, it may seem like a point when you only touch it occasionally, but it actually becomes a consistent, coherent realm, you know, and it, um, uh, a place which is amazingly open and yet strangely unmoved or un daunted or un, not trembling. In the presence of, every, of things that tremble and move, is yet because of, its, because of its purity, because of its confidence, because of its the amount of uh, we've taken refuge in that, it, it has this, the quality, this quality to it. You know, the, the more we amplify our attention and, uh, and steady our intention, then that very quality of attention and intention becomes a palpable presence. Yeah. So you can do this with any, anything, with its coarse, refined, internal or external, just kind of looking at a rock and holding your attention onto that. Not wanting, you know, not why, why, what's the point, what am I supposed to see, what's this going to do to me? Uh, how is this silly or whatever? Just, just holding your attention there and your intention just to be patient and open, something like that. Then, of course, the value is not in the object, but in the quality of attention and intention that has been manifested. And it has a, a palpable effect. You start to feel um, the mental chatter dies away. 
the emotional reverberation steady. Uh, one doesn't feel inside or outside. You don't feel like you're inside something looking out or outside. You just feel the sense of like the, the wholeness of the presence of that experience. You know, the quality of experiencing things becomes whole and steady. So, you know, this is just something that, that happens when we, we take the time to do it. It's not in the object or in the view about the object or view about a self, but just in the very quality of presence. There's this, um, this, this benefit. And it becomes uh, like an island or a refuge place. And the Buddha said, this is the island that you can't go beyond. You can't get back. You can't find something back from that. You know, and this, you can't say, you know, distill that any further. It's like it's the ultimate distillation, and it's like I call this nibbana. <clears throat> this is the end of suffering and death. This is where those things do not um, don't move. That the fears, the uh, what will happen? The what should I be? All that can can stop. It's the stopping of these things, not through aversion to them or denying they exist or having a view that one shouldn't think about that or anything like that, but just through the the power of attending fully to these things. Then this this realm of of nibbana opens up. In, in in conscious presence, not sort of somewhere else, not through you know, sort of escaping somewhere else, but really much in 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 you know in the in the in the experience of consciousness. But we have to fully experience consciousness for that. What, what it can do if you, if we have all kinds of of inner divisions. And viewpoints and stuff, then this bungs up the process. Attention is not attention, it's, it's attitude. Intention is not intention, it's, it's choosing. It's, it's a very limited ways to approach our life. They still have power to them. You know, if you approach something with an attitude, steadily, then things will actually, that attitude will have a lot to say about what we experience. You know, I mean, I could approach this attitude with, well, this is a bit of a waste of time, really, doing here, not producing anything, getting anything done. You know, what's the point of all this? And, you know, just holding that attitude, you start to feel depressed and bitter and so forth. And then that very much affects what, what, what one perceives. You start to, you know, imagine the things I could be doing. Spot welding or something fascinating like that. Instead of sitting here just getting older. <laughs> so as you, as you, you know, when you develop an attitude, it's rather like, you know, it very much sets up a paradigm. So we could have, you know, we come down to refined attitudes. Well, maybe our lives should be calm. So if I approach it from the attitude, I want things to be calm here, quiet here. That means everything that doesn't fit into that, you know, gets into it, it shouldn't be, doesn't it? And if you, you know, it gets into that particular category. And then, you know, the, the, I'm not really meeting it anymore. I'm just irritated by it, disappointed by it, annoyed by it, blaming by it, feeling fed up, you know, feeling 
you know, I've not been, my life isn't going properly, or this isn't what should be happening. So then I'm actually dealing with that sense of irritation, you know, upset, or whatever, the, the feeling of it. And it comes, and one can feel that. It comes and goes. And once we've learned the balance in that, then and we can actually consider what's the appropriate course of action with this. Is this, you know, does this pointing out something that's really necessary to do or not? We're a bit freer. So certainly my mind has calmed quite a lot. It used to be a lot. Worse than this. <laughs> a lot more, less calm than this. Still not utterly calm. Um, but not through trying to make it calm, but just through the mechanisms of, you know, hanging on and getting upset and arguing and complaining and contending, fizzling out through their ineffectiveness. I have complained bitterly about life for many years and it still has not done it, doesn't change it very much. <laughs> so, so eventually it just was like, not really powerful wisdom, just through fatigue. <laughs> it sort of starts to fizzle out. And as it fizzles out, I think, oh, maybe it's like this. Oh. And, and, and that, that kind of emptying out, finds a sense of calm that's not uh, just kind of a, tran- a suppression of tranquility, but calm of acceptance and allowance and saying, well, okay, well, yeah, that's, well, yeah, I can manage that, that, that feeling, I can manage that. And, hmm. So, here we are. Yeah. So, it really is, is a, a practice that works. And one of the, the certainly the, the whole aim of, of, um, Training is not to become a monk as a thing or a nun as a thing, some kind of entity or status, but to really be able to live within a training whereby one is able to open to external phenomena in the uncontrollable, unknowable, impossible, and open to internal phenomena in the unknowable, uncontrollable, impossible, um, until they become just that. Just dumbness arise, and we find a, a place where, whereby, having found that refuge, then strangely the impossible becomes possible, and the unknowable becomes knowable, and the unbearable becomes bearable. Somebody's asking me today whether his, his mother had died. Uh, Hundred days ago, so he's asking me, you know, will I see if you know when I die, will I go, will I be able to see my mother if I go and make enough good karma in this life? Will I be able to see my mother? Don't know actually. So he said, well, there's this and that, and this and, this, and some people say this, and they say that, and so then he's getting more excited. I see. Could be, but actually I don't know. I said, well, the main thing is to know that you don't know, and then once you settle with that, your mind calms down, and um, it doesn't. It's no longer an issue, a problem. You don't have that sense of, you know, oh. But on the other hand, going about another way, you know, what's going to happen after death, and so forth. So I said, look, it's. You know, I thought to myself, really, it's very clear, I really know very clearly that I don't know this. This knowledge is utterly um, grounded in myself. There's a lot of knowing there. I'm content with that, that knowing I don't know. That knowing that I don't know feels quite happy in itself. Um, it doesn't actually want to know. It wants, it's quite okay not knowing. But it's, it's really un- getting to feel what knowing actually is, rather than conceiving, it's that sense of arriving at a place of stopping. What is possible 
is arriving at a place where where one one's anxiety and one's striving ends, and one's fear ends. And that isn't really in making things conceivable or making things doable, but in this refuge place. One can know that the impossible is something that's very likely. It's not impossible. It's actually completely likely. That the unbearable is something that, that we will all we all experience and go through. We all experience pain and uh, disappointment and frustration. And the system, you know, comes up with these signals which are of use, saying, you know, we don't want this. I said, yeah, well, I know we don't want it, but it happens. And in the present moment of acknowledging that, the power of mindfulness is to keep bringing your mind to that place of acknowledgement of the way it is, we find this, this refuge place. And this is you know, something that's, because of its supreme um, quality, it really is worth trading in one's angles and attitudes and strategies for this one. Because this is where the, the um, suffering and the stressing and the selfing and the uncertainties can stop. So tonight there's um, Steve taking the Anagarika training, agreeing to train this way, use this particular form of handling the external <coughs> world and the internal world in this way. Uh, for one for one year, it's called anagarika, which going means leaving home, leaving the fixed positions, leaving the these um, you know, these homes in order to live in the refuge. So we offer him, we wish him our best wishes on this occasion, and uh, offer this for his reflections.